founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Jake Haddon, founder and CEO of Digital Crafts, a top-rated Atlanta and Houston-based coding boot camp ranked ninth in the world. Digital Crafts exists to positively impact the lives of 10,000-plus builders, each equipped with the skills and tools necessary to breathe life into ideas, whether as an entrepreneur or software engineers. Their intense 16-week programs trains 12 students at a time in the development tools essential to today's fast-moving technology atmosphere. Digital Crafts landed on the Inc. 5000 in 2019 and 2020, topping out at number 117. Jake, my man, we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Drew, it's a pleasure, and I really appreciate the invite and looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely, my man. So we'll start off where we always start, which is we want to get the background of this company. What series of events led you to starting this? It's, it's a great question. I think for me, and you know, this is um, a, a company that my partner and I founded, Max McChesney. So it's, we're definitely co-founders, co-CEOs still. Um, yeah. I have to give them a shout out at the beginning. For, for me, it's it's more of a personal thing what led me here today. Um, I have always, for the longest time, wanted to start a business. Mm. You know, even in high school, um, I constantly thought about what business am I going to start? What is it going to be? When am I going to do it? Um, and I really had that mindset all throughout college, after college, even when I went to work. And I, I do this with a lot of things. Like I, I talk to myself in my head. Yeah, about, you know, me in the future state. Um, I don't know if that's healthy for everyone to do, but for me, it, it is um, <laughs> relaxing as well. So I just told myself over and over, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start my own company. Um, and do you mind me pausing right there? Sure. What did something in particular turn you on to that? Had you seen it? Had you I, I uh, did was, something inspire that? Or I think it was my dad uh, supporting me. And, and and trying to open my mind to think about the possibilities of starting your own company and doing your own thing. Mm. You know, my, my dad has worked for the same company for 41 years. He's actually the longest standing employee at that company. Wow. Um, and he's had a great career and really enjoyed it. And so I don't think it came from him saying, I've worked in the corporate world forever because um, he had a, a great journey and wouldn't change it for the world. But I think it just at a very early age, you know, he was always trying to open my mind to new things and specifically around business and being an entrepreneur and kind of doing, you know, life your own way. Wow. So I think that's what started it. And then, um, you know, in college, I mentioned to you a little bit before we started recording that my wife and I have been together for 13 years. So right after we met, actually, my wife and I started a company of our own um, mm. at the University of Georgia. We would pay students to go into class, take notes on their computer. And we would sell those online to students who missed class. <laughs> and where, where well, you should have started a program at Clemson, man. I would have paid top dollar know, for that. I know we, um, we, it was actually pretty successful. Um, and then, you know, and so, and for that initiative, my, my dad gave me $5,000, uh, no questions asked. We hired an, an engineer in offshore in India to build the website for us, get it going, wow. a lot of hard work. Um, you know, my dad never asked me to pay him back for that. And so, and, and very supportive 
throughout and then on that experience. Yeah. Uh, my biggest regret on that experience is that we just let it die. So my mm-hmm. wife and I graduated college. Uh, we both got good jobs and we just let the company fizzle away. Um, so that's my biggest regret from that first venture because we could have easily sold that to someone. Sure. Or at least handed it off to someone to keep running because it was profitable. It made sense. Customers liked it. Wow. But when you get a job offer making, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars coming out of college, at that point in your life it's tough to turn that down. Sure. Uh, for an entrepreneurial venture. So Yeah, yeah. So what was that first career path for you? What was the the line of work you, you first went into? Yeah. So I studied finance at the University of Georgia, had an extremely tough time getting a job. Finance is my weakest link, even though my GPA was three five, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, very tough time getting a job at like a bank or as an investment banker, anything within, within finance. Um, and an interview with hundreds of companies and finally landed at a company called Agrium selling fertilizer. Um, so I basically drove around Atlanta for about a year selling fertilizer and pesticides to, um, you know, lawn care companies as well as uh, golf courses. Yeah. So, you know, I had a truck, had a warehouse of product, go around, sell the product, push it. Um, I think it was a really good experience walking into, you know, 10 doors a day, getting nine rejections a day. Yeah. But I enjoyed that that I'm a natural salesperson. Um, and so I enjoy striking up conversations, building trust and, and seeing where that leads. And then after that, um, I did get a job at Accenture. And that's where I spent most of my career before starting Digital Crafts um, as a management consultant. Wow. So a lot of good experience at Accenture. I mean, I, I definitely promote for people to, when they get out of college, if they don't start something right away, go into one of those highly competitive spaces, whether sure. it's banking, consulting, you know, and just work long hours and learn a lot of things to get exposed to a lot of industries within a short amount of time. So then, then when you get out on your own, you can really talk the talk a lot better. We just had a podcast guest on who's, a founder just like you who used to work at Accenture, and I cannot recall who it was. I think they have like 400,000 employees. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you, might not, you might not have run into each other, right? Yeah, but, and then, you know, just to kind of wrap up your question of how this train of events started. So I think it was just kind of ingrained in me early on from my father. Yeah. Um, and then my wife, Erin, has been super supportive. Not, I mean, she was my, my partner in my first venture. Um, and then my partner I have today, Max, um, met him on the first day of college at U- University of Georgia, walking into the dining hall, you know, walking around with my tray of food, trying to find a table to sit at. I sat at the table with Max and, you know, we were just hit it off and have been best friends ever since then. Yeah. And this was his idea. Digital Pass was his idea. Um, we are in the education space training, you know, software engineers. I have no background in education or I'm not a software engineer. And so Max came to me with this idea about starting digital crafts because he had stumbled upon the, the industry himself um, because he was thinking about going to one of these schools. Mm. He actually went out and interviewed with a few schools to become a student there and just wasn't impressed uh, with the level of quality, I guess. Uh, and not to talk negatively about those, those schools or anything. Sure. But- Thought, and, you know, after this interview said, hey, man, I think we can just compete with these guys if we can be professional. Um, if we can have good customer service, 
and be professional. I think we'll beat these guys all day. And so we started that conversation and, and that's really what led us to where we are today. Um, you know, just going back to it, my wife had a fantastic job at the time. Yeah. So I could leave my full-time job and not worry about the bills. And I think yeah. that's not a story most people can say. Sure. Um, so she supported our, you know, our income for two years after starting Digital Crafts, which is a huge shout out to her. And then, uh, you know, my dad actually gave me a credit line of, and I'll, I'll say this, you know, $40,000 against his retirement account. Wow. And did want me to pay it back. You know, and we had that conversation up front and I fully intended to and have. Yeah. But I thought it was really cool for him to say, look, I'll put some of my retirement up as, you know, um, collateral for you to, to go off and decide in. I hope you pay it back and I expect you to, but, um, yeah. you know, now thinking about it six years later, he probably was like, there's, you know, there's a 50% chance he doesn't yeah. right away. And, and I'm okay with that. Man. So, all my, all the cards lined up for me to take this venture and do it without too much risk. Um, there's still a lot of risk involved. Oh yeah. Even a good career and, you know, failing. Um, but anyways, yeah. So that's how we got to where we are today. Man, that's amazing. My, we have, a, we have uh, a few similarities. One, my dad played a very similar role in my life in, uh, man, being my first supporter in any big move I made, whether it was, uh, getting into sports, getting out of sports. I remember that was uh, huge for him. I went to Clemson because I was going to play soccer there yeah. and ended up deciding I was done. Like last minute, I was like, I think I'm done. And um, I thought it was going to break his heart, you know, because he went from having college paid for uh, to going. I decided to go there anyways, which <laughs> that was the other hard part was I'm not going in state. I'm still going out of state. Um, and he didn't bat an eye, man. I mean, he was like, yeah, let's go. And the same thing, start my business, um, being there for me, even financially it, 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 to help with some of the risk early on, you know, similar relationship. Um, yeah. I'll just never forget it. And it was so fun. I'm sure the same for you. Some of the first big wins getting to call him and, and say, Hey, it's working, you know, <laughs> like this business is working and I'm happy. And, um, I know that meant, meant the world to him to be a part of be a part, some place and part of that success for you. Right. Ryan, I'll just say this in case my mom listens. Um, you know, all those decisions were joint between my sure. mom and dad of giving me that first 5,000. I mean, it's her retirement account too. And she's been super supportive every step of the way as well. So it's, I just, I just had a really good support system. My parents and my wife. Um, that so me- cool. Yeah. The, the other crazy thing is I, my business partner that we were talking about before this, he has been co-hosting this podcast with me uh, up until now, but our, both got too busy. Basically our podcast grew too much and our business grew too much. And so we just couldn't keep, uh, making enough time for him to be on it. He'll be on here on some episodes when, uh, when our schedule allows it, but we met our freshman year at Clemson very first day. Same, same for, for, uh, you and your business partner. Uh, we actually got set up by his girlfriend. I don't know how she heard about me, but had heard that I was, uh, into wakeboarding, which he was as well. And I came to my, into my freshman dorm. It was the first week. It wasn't first day. And I uh, found a note on my computer that said, Hey, I heard you like wakeboarding. My boyfriend does too. You should, you should walk down the hall and meet him. He's in room four something. Right. And I was like, what? Like, this is the weirdest note I've ever gotten, but I didn't know anybody cause I came from out of state. And yeah. so, um, walked down the hall and sure enough, he and his roommate became, 
uh, best friends of mine. And uh, here we are years and years later starting a business together. So um, I think we have a lot in common. I'm, uh, you know, not anymore, but growing up, huge soccer player. Yeah. Okay. Played in high school, played on traveling team in off season. Yes. You know, so a lot Dude. of stuff there. Absolutely. This is kind of weird. <laughs> Did you wakeboard too? That's going to get real strange. I can. Okay. Uh, I'm more of a snowboarder. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we started actually our first business we started together was a wakeboarding company, uh, while we were in college. So we, uh, same thing. We started our first business in college and we taught students how to, how to wakeboard and, uh, kids and all that kind of stuff. And then realized it wasn't a very good business for six months of the year. And we didn't know what to do with ourselves. And same thing. We both had job offers and, uh, it was working too. We were about to take over, uh, the entire state of South Carolina, um, the wakeboarding series. And anyways, we, we moved on and came back later to it, but I'm curious for you and I'll get off of me. Uh, I'm curious for you in that first year or two, uh, what was your experience like? I know it's different for every founder, but in that early stage, it's just an idea. You're working hard to get it to take root. When you think back on that time, what, what comes to mind? You know, I had no doubt that it would, I'm a very optimistic person. Um, so I had no doubt that we would make it work. Mm. You know, if, so I, I think that's really important. When I think back on it, I wasn't nervous about financials. Again, I had a very good situation at home. Um, and I also love the opinion that uh, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs don't believe this or investors that hard work kind of trumps everything. I'm very much in the camp of, you know, the idea does have to be good and there has to be a product market fit, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. I think hard work, you know, is a step above all that. And so I knew Max and I would work hard enough to make it work. Had no doubt about that. You know, the first year or two was just learn and I guess what I'm thinking about now is I just had the same conversation over and over and over and over and over. You know, like you're trying to convince people that this product has value, the service has value, mm. whether that's just someone in your community or a future customer. You know, at Digital Crafts, um, all of our, or the vast majority of our customers are students who are trying to, or individuals trying to change their career. Mm. And, you know, this year we'll, we'll start 450 students in our program. Um, but in year one, there was only 10. Wow. And I, but I probably had to talk to a hundred individuals in Atlanta to get those 10. I had to talk to a thousand employers to convince them to hire, to try to hire those 10. And, you know, to, and just speaking with everyone in the community. So really wow. what I found most of those first two years is just saying that story over and over. Like, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. Like, come on, get on board, trying to convince people. Yeah to see what we're doing. Um, Did that ever dishearten you or threaten kind of that natural optimism and hope when? Well, when I, you... I think sometimes you s say the story so much that on the hundredth and fifth time, you start to doubt yourself and like, yeah. what is the story I'm telling? Like, is this, you know, is this going to work or valuable? or be valuable? But I, I think we got a lot of traction. You know, we, our industry is about nine years old. Um, digital craft started six years ago. So when we started, you know, we didn't necessarily create a new product. We were, we were, um, 
iterating on something that already existed and, yeah. and trying to do it better. So it, it wasn't tough to necessarily um, get our first, I mean, it was tough. It was a lot of work into it, but um, we weren't selling something so new that people didn't understand it because gotcha. there was a little bit of traction in the marketplace. And so, you know, for the most part, I felt pretty confident in what we were doing. Um, yeah. But, you know, and in, in addition to that, like the first two years, you don't really, you're kind of just doing everything you can the best you can, mm-hmm. right? Um, I quickly had to learn how to negotiate lease terms on an office. You know, I quickly had to negotiate or figure out how to write an offer letter to our first hire mm. and make up, you know, how to give them equity. <laughs> yeah. Right. Google search uh, offer letter. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, later found out that the way we gave them equity is not legal. Um, <laughs> but we were able to, you know, speak with a lawyer and figure that out. Yeah. You know, we built my partner, built the website from scratch. And, um, you know, so I think you're just learning a lot of different trades, like admin-related mm. trades almost. Uh, yeah. And doing them as fast as you can in those first few years. Wow. Um, I'm curious, just to, even for the audience to learn as well as me, what does the service look like? Because you mentioned talking to employers to hire these people. Is yeah. there is that part of it too, that you're, you're teaching them coding, but you're also setting up a job for them? So our... Um, our business model has changed over the years, but our core business is providing a, a training program that gives somebody hard skills mm-hmm. so they can change their career or really achieve their goals. The vast majority of students who come to our program have a background in something non-tech related. So maybe they've been an accountant, an investment banker, uh, maybe they worked at, you know, in a, in a restaurant uh, for a number of years mm. and have realized that coding is a passion of theirs they've tried to learn it on their own at night and they've said hey i'm the kind of student that needs a a structured program and so then they'll find us come to our program we'll train them for four to six months and then connect them with employers um, on the back end we don't take a fee from that on the back end our business model is driven from the tuition from the student our revenue okay but we do you know connect them like in home depot we have in Atlanta here, uh, Home Depot is hiring around 30 students of ours. Um, so wow. anytime they're hiring junior level software engineers, they'll let us know. We'll send them resumes of our students. Um, and we have about 200 partners around the U.S. that, that we do that with. That's amazing. Yeah. So you guys are planning on doing four, having 450 students this year? So this year, yeah. we um, Wow. Again, in 2015, when we started, we had 10 students in our first class. I could I could rattle off all ten names and know sure. and other families. Um, still keep in touch with most of them. Unfortunately, as your business grows, the customer service gets disconnected from the leadership. Yeah, um, I think that's just the nature of the beast. But yeah, yeah this year we'll start around four hundred fifty students in our program, um, and and we also now are in B two B as well. So we work for companies like um, Exxon Mobil. Uh, Chick-fil-A, Microsoft, that we've, they've hired us to come in and train their employees on Mm. specific software engineering topics. So really that's our two core businesses is is B2C, which is the core. It's about 65% of our overall business. And then the rest is made up on that corporate side. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, For you, I'm curious, uh, any tips on leading a business with a friend and a a co-founder, right? 
Yeah. Um, you know, Max and I were, again, we met the first day of college, really good friends um, and, and best friends now. Like we, we lived with each other after college, after we graduated, we lived in the same house here in Atlanta. Um, so very, very strong relationship. I think, you know, before we started the company, we just had that conversation and, and it really wasn't a tough one because he's such a good friend of, hey, you know, friendship's more important than anything. Yep. And as the business grows, like that's even more important. Like there's more at stake now. Like my 50% equity in this business is, is much more valuable than it was um, when we started. But I would say our friendship is even more important now because we've, we've grown it into, it's not, we're not just friends that on the weekends or after work, it's, it's kind of all day, every day. You know, yeah. Work. Um, so it's super important to us, you know, the one advice I would give um, to founders who are starting up, like when, when we started, we, we reached out to a lot of people and asked advice on how do you do this uh, with a partner and how do you do it well? Yeah. The vast majority of people we talked to were like, Hey, do this 51, 49% ownership. So someone has the final decision. I don't think I would agree with that. Yeah, and neither. We did 50-50 and it's been fair. I think if we had done 51-49, we would not be where we are today. So I, mm -hmm. I do disagree strongly with that, um, especially if it's your best friend. If it's just a co-founder, the difference yeah. is that, that's different. Yep. Um, the one thing Max and I have, have misaligned on over the years is what's our end goal? Mm. How fast do we want to get there? Mm. Um, I'm more of a, of, Hey, we need to get to this growth point, you know, two times faster than what people expect. And Max is more of a realist. He's like, Hey, well, that's not going to work. Let's have a lower, <laughs> lower goal and a longer time period. And let's go there. And, but what happens is it's, you know, we kind of meet in the middle. Yeah. Um, and I think that has really helped our business. I do think one advice we I didn't get until after we started is you do want to seek a co-founder has a different skill set. Yeah. Um, yeah. That happened for us without me realizing it up. But you know, Max is um extremely smart, has a finance background, does our accounting. Um and his perspective really on, hey, let's not grow so fast, let's watch the bottom line. Yeah. Um, has helped our business significantly. He's more data driven, so he loves getting like marketing analytics and again our finances, things that I don't have interest in. Mm. Um, and I think that happened naturally for us. Thank goodness um, that yeah, both people weren't the same. So I do think that before you're starting the business, having a complementary skill set with your co-founders is is super important. Couldn't agree more, man. That's so good. Yeah, we did the same thing. Um, heard some similar advice, but it was like, man. I, the depth of our friendship and the trust that we've developed in each other. Like there's no reason why we would need a percentage difference on the decision. Like we'll make these decisions together, you know? I think we make decisions slower. Yeah. Um, definitely. But I don't know if that's been a bad thing. Yeah. So. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Uh, for you in your seat, right? So let's just think about like your journey as a co-founder, being part of leading the business, getting business, that kind of stuff. What has been the hardest evolution for you, right? We all know as the business grows, we have to grow with it. We're learning maybe new skills, wearing new hats for the first time. What were some of the the, the more challenging uh, evolutions you had to go through? So 
I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is just patience, mm. right? Like working with a, in the first one or two years, it was me and Max and one or two employees. And again, like I mentioned, having patience with your partner, set the right goals. I think that's super important. Mm. Uh, and again, keeping in mind, friendship is more important than the business. It's easy to have patience when you realize or you fully understand that, hey, friendship is more important more important so I, I think patience is the number one thing um moving into where we are today where we have 40 employees um the biggest transition for me is to be more hands-off mm. and really let my team do the work they were hired for yeah yeah um and i have a, a lady on my team liz who's our director of operations um and I remember specifically when she took, she was like, hey, Jake, we need to go have some lunch. And I was like, all right, Liz, that's great. Um, and so we went and had lunch. And, and during that conversation, um, and I've always been really open to feedback. She was like, hey, look, you're, you're micromanaging me, mm. right? You know, so here's an example. At the end of our cohorts, our students had this big graduation party. Um, it's very important to me that we look very professional at that event. Right. I want to make sure that the food stock, the cooler stock, the, the branding's up, that it looks it looks well. Yeah. We have a plan, the presentation's made, we know what to say. So anytime that event's about to come up, I would, I'd always ping Liz, I'm like, hey, have you ordered the food? Hey, is the presentation ready? Hey, is you know, people know their scripts and when they're supposed to speak. Mm. And so she, you know, when she took me to lunch, she's like, Jake, look, I've done this event nine times. Right. There's no need for you to tell me or ask or even worry that the food's not going to stop. <laughs> um, and it, so that was just an example, but it clicked with me is that, yeah. you know, to, you don't have to, or I don't with my team today, I don't have to reach out and remind them to do something. Mm. What the philosophy I've taken now is let it be. And if they don't do it, then you can step in and say and ask why wasn't it done or why wasn't it done correctly i think that was the hardest thing for me is um now that we've grown to about 40 employees everyone used to report to me that's not the way any anymore i used to have control over everything and now it's really putting the right people in the right seats i only have two people that report to me now nice uh, but i have full trust in those two people and um and them directing their teams and it, you know, it's just been eye-opening for me how much, um, well, how good they are, and, and almost better than me at, at those roles. Um, yeah. So I think that's the biggest lesson learned. You know, I had some management experience before starting Digital Crafts, but not enough to fully grasp what it takes. Mm. I still don't, after six years, sure. um, claim to be a perfect manager by any means. But I think the biggest thing for me is you got to let – the team do what they were hired to do. You got to give yeah. them creativity, space. Um, and then the final thing I'll say, one thing that's helped me personally is this book called Radical Candor. Yes, love Radical Candor. So I'm sure everyone on this, maybe that's come on this podcast has said this, but the hardest thing for me to do is give direct feedback when um, somebody did something I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Right? And so when I give them, when I wouldn't give that feedback, I would kind of sugarcoat, hey, It'd really be nice if on that presentation you had page numbers and things were bulleted correctly. When, when I should have said, hey, look, 
you need, you know, I don't know how I would communicate, but yeah, 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 I get it. Text for that presentation to be professional. Um, there were several places where the bullets weren't correct and the page numbers need to be there. It's all about the details for me. So please make sure to fix that before next time. Like if you can give them the direct feedback, they can grow on that. Right. Kind of sugarcoat it and say, hey, it would be nice if you have page numbers. It doesn't click. Um, That's right. And it, so anyways, Radical Canner has been amazing for me. Give direct feedback quickly, privately. Uh, it builds your relationship with your team. It makes it so much stronger. Yes. Otherwise, like you, I just need to be the nice person all the time. Yes. Being the nice person all the time leads to unhealthy relationships in the workplace. Um, and so that, that's yeah. a huge lesson for me as well. Oh man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, there's, there's a... Um kind of a leadership tool that we use that's a, a two by two matrix and on one on one axis is uh, high support on the other axis is high challenge right so you have the y-axis high support x-axis high challenge and you kind of figure out which are you more naturally in right most people are going to be more of a high support person or a high challenge person and that's great but if we don't calibrate it with the other um, leadership style we end up having a imbalance that causes some problems, right? So yours is on the high support, which is mine as well. My, my whole learning journey, the reason why I was like, yes, I love radical candor was because it was the thing I had to learn as a leader that was uncomfortable at first. Yeah, It's like, I'm about relationship. I'm about like knowing you can trust me. I'm for you. Uh, but you unknowingly create a culture of like being too much of a nurturer. Yeah. Uh, people can get apathetic. There can be mistrust because they feel like you don't trust them. Uh, high performers get bored because they actually like someone pushing them. You know, they want they want someone to tell tell it to them straight. You know, um, and then people can start to actually get if it goes long enough and the culture is big enough, they can start to expect. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, where you're always expecting something for free. You know, you you get you get used to this. Like, well, he just does it for me. You know. Um, and so calibrating that, that challenge in there makes you more of, of a true leader that sets people up for success, you know, and then you have the opposite. If you're high challenge and you don't have any support, that's that person that's always pushing you, you know, and and you get some short-term results, but people end up getting burnt out, frustrated. There's no grace. You know, all you do is push me. You never ask me how I'm doing that kind of thing. Um, so man, what a cool journey for you. One, One other thing I'll say, um, on this topic is, you know, for anybody who's about to start a company, it, it's a balance and it changes over time on how you have to act and lead. Like those, for me, those first one or two years, I did everything I could to convince people to stay mm. like, working. Um, we're a great company. I'm a great boss. I, I think there's some importance to that. Yeah. Right. Cause you have to get some traction early on. Yeah. It takes a little bit of selling to do that. Like to hire somebody early on, it was more about just convincing and selling us to them versus right. like looking for their skill set. Um, but as you continue to grow, now that we have traction and you're you're really trying to optimize for future growth, you know, it's different. You know, you can adapt these radical candor um, practices. You know, the, the lady who wrote radical candor, right? She did so while working at, I forget, either Google or Apple, um, which has amazing support, right? Um, mm-hmm. And as an early entrepreneur, that support's not there. So I think you can't really adapt 
or adopt a lot of those practices until you're at kind of the right phase. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly possible. Um, man, that's so good. I'm curious for you, what everybody's got different motivators, right? We've got different thing that, that drives us. What's the thing for you that, that drives you that has you working hard, you know, excited about the future. What are, what are some of your drives? Again, I think, I think as a young adult, I started digital professionals 27 and now I'm 33. Those motivators change a lot. Yeah. Throughout the years, you know, when I started this company, I had a wife, but no daughter, no daughter. Um, and there's, you know, a huge component about stability for your family, which is a huge motivator of mine. Um, like if I could turn this into something where I, I'd made enough money where I never had to worry about Eleanor, my daughter's education. Yeah. Like my dad paid for all my education. I didn't come out of school, college, my dad. That's something I want to pass along. Yeah. That's a huge motivator for me. Sure. Uh, so there's a lot of that family um, motivation there. Like on an individual level, um, I like to have control of my schedule. And I didn't really know that until recently. Like I, I really enjoyed working at Accenture as a management consultant, flying everywhere every week, working long hours, you know, wearing the slacks and the button down. Like I yeah. liked that and I, I felt professional and I liked the work. I was challenged. I wanted to be the best. You have no control over your schedule, um, but yeah. you're kind of in this, sucked into this world that you don't even know about. You don't even know about what's out on the other end. Um, right, right. And now like, I hate to say this, but I walk around Atlanta and I, I see people walking around and that's closed, the slacks and the button down. And I think like, I was like, you should be that person with a light blue button down shirt with medium starch. Um, and now I'm free. Like I can wear whatever I want. I can talk however I want. I can motivate my team however I want. Mm. And I have complete control over my schedule. And that is great for me personally, but also for my family. Like if, yeah. you know, if I need to be at home because something happens to my wife, Eleanor, I can do that um, without even thinking. Or I love to fly fish. That's my hobby. If I want to go fly fishing on Wednesday, I go fly fishing on Wednesday. Yes. Um, and I, I, it's so valuable to have control over your time. Yes. Oh man. Yeah. We talk about last thing, I'll, last thing I'll say is I do yeah. want to be the best. Like I'm very driven to make sure our company is the best one in the space. Mm. Um, I don't like being just an average um, player. You know, I want to be the best. I strive to be the, the biggest as well. Um, and I think a lot of motivation, there's a lot of competitiveness. Let's go in that world as well. So <laughs> yes, I love. It. We were just talking about that uh, yesterday with my team. The people we love working with the most are those that are truly competitive. You know, good people, like not ego driven, that kind of stuff. But like, there is some bend that's like, we could be better. This could be bigger. We could uh, push ourselves harder. You know, that competitive drive, man. It's yeah. it's that that fifth gear inside of you that kind of gets lit up. And I wasn't speaking negatively about people who have corporate. Oh, no, I get it. Like that. It's just. You know, I feel it's it's, it's it's you feel fortunate. That's that's how I feel. I feel fortunate. I'm like, man, I know not everybody can do this, but like I'm not going to overlook how grateful I am that I would rather be able to set my own schedule than somebody set one for me. 
right? I'd rather have flexibility than not have flexibility. Same with you. You know, we have three young kids. My wife calls like she did two weeks ago and said, Hey, you know, you got to pick up our middle child Sutton. You got to pick her up from school. You know, she's sick. Okay. I hop over there, you know, I make it work and I'm right here. I'm working from home right now. I'm able to do that for myself, you know? Um, but the counterbalance to that is you got a whole lot of pressure on you, right? <laughs> yeah. Like there, you got a lot of responsibility on you. Like it comes with a cost and that cost is worth it to us, to you as well, I'm sure. But it's like, that is the sacrifice that you make is like you, you let go of some security, you let go of some, yeah. some feeling of safety net, right? That's um, work. I mean, I, my first meeting yesterday was at 8 a.m. with a partner of ours in London, you know, in England, and then an event at 7 p.m., you know? Yeah, yeah. The full day. Uh, yeah. And most days aren't. Absolutely, absolutely. So how do you, how do you personally, um, what's the way I would put this? When there's a lot on you, there's a lot of demands on you, you're busy, your calendar's full, you're having to make important decisions, that can drain somebody. Like yeah. what have you found any practices or rhythms or rituals that help you uh, show up consistently ready to rock and be there sharp mentally and emotionally and that kind of stuff? Well, I thought I'd crack that code and then I had uh, a daughter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and showing up well rested to work is, is definitely something I have no control over at the moment. Sure. Uh, yeah. First year's that way. Yeah. So, I've tried a lot of things. You know, I used to block part of my calendar. Like I'm going to do emails this time of the day. I'm going to focus on this priority that time of the day. That approach never worked for me. Mm. Um, Cause that time block would come around and I wouldn't be in the right mental space to work on, you know, emails for an hour or sure. Q1 priority. So I've done a lot of those things. Um, and I, I definitely say I hadn't cracked the code. There's one thing that I do every morning if I can, and I'll preach this to everyone who will listen. Uh, sure, bring it. And now I can't remember the guy who I heard speak about it. Um, but anyway, so two years ago, I, I joined, I'm no longer part of the organization, but joined Entrepreneurs Organization. Yeah. It's just um, a members-only entrepreneurs group when your company reaches a certain revenue threshold. Uh, there's about 250 members here in Atlanta, I think, maybe 150. Um, and they had a guest speaker come to one of the events and I, I listened to him and like everything was just clicking with me. Um, and so one thing he preaches is to start the day off with a routine and to get into a good positive headspace. And yep. so he does this specific, and I do this now it's, um, it's called one, 10, 10, 10. Okay. So the minute you wake up out of bed you throw your feet over on the side of the the mattress, put them on the ground for one second. You ask yourself, why am I on this work earth today? Mm. And well, I'll come back to it, but why am I on this earth today? Ask yourself, answer it. Then you do 10, 10, 10, which is 10 minutes of thinking about what you're grateful for. Mm. And then it's 10 minutes reading something that's positive. And then it's 10 minutes of journaling. And he would say 10 minutes of positive journaling. I found I just journal about whatever. Comes sure. Out. Yeah. Um, and it makes me, and so, and the other rule is you can't look at your phone or you can't watch the news until you finish all that. Yes. 
And I think it's so important. You know, I used to wake up, pick my phone up, look at the email. I'd see that, you know, one of our clients is bailing on a, a deal or yeah. an employee of mine has an issue about their compensation and just immediately get into a negative headspace. Yeah, yeah. So I think by putting yourself in this positive headspace, you can just address those things much more clearly and less is stressful, right? You're not stressed out. Yeah. Um, and so that's huge, right? That's and this huge. other guy, it, he would preach things about stress. You know, so if you take any example, um, let's say you have an employee um, upset about compensation, right? Why in the world would you get stressed out about that? Mm. Right? You have complete control over it. So why get stressed out about something you have complete control over? It? Yeah. You have the conversation with them. If, if you can't come to an agreement, then you may need to replace them. But there's no need to stress about it because you have complete control of the situation and you can you can address it head on and move on. Mm. Or you have COVID, right? You have, you no, have no control. control right. <laughs> yeah. So I get stressed about something you have no control over. Right. You know, right. Attack it head on and do the best you can, but understand you have no control. But anyway, so I think um this one 10, 10, 10 thing has had a significant impact on me um, mm. and how I approach my day, how I start my day. It also helps you realize that work isn't the only thing. Um, very often when I ask myself, why am I on this planet today? It has nothing to do with work. It's like, mm. I need to be the best father to Eleanor, or I need to be the most supportive husband because I know my wife stayed up all night with Eleanor. Um, yeah. Or, I need to be the best son because I know my dad's going through a tough time. Yeah. You know, things That's like that. So it helps you realize really what's important in life. Um, and the, the last thing I'll say is, is for me, it's fly fishing. Yeah. Um, it's the one thing I've found that I can do. And I get so focused on it that I don't think about work. Yep. That, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's my way to be me and, you know, not think about work at that moment. It's beautiful, man. I got to, I got to, a taste of fly fishing. I started a mentorship program for college students back in the day and, um, they would come and live, uh, in Estes park, Colorado. And we would stay at, so I'd worked out a deal with the YMCA of the Rockies and they would work for them and got their lodging and food for them. And then that, they would do this mentorship mentorship program with me at night. Um, and I picked up fly fishing while I was there. And it was the same thing, man. I couldn't wait to grab my pack and head off and yeah. just be by myself. Or sometimes I'd bring bring one of the students with me and uh, he'd be on one side of the river and me on the other and uh, trek in and trek out. And it was, it's, yeah, it's something about focusing on a difficult task that focuses your mind and allows it to be present and kind of calm and clear everything out of it. That's that's recentering, right? And what's weird about this fly fishing habit of mine is it's really taken over kind of my, my life, but um, I've I've accumulated a few friends that also like to do it. So my my partner Max uh, is in fly fishing, and then I have some good friends that have started doing it. Yeah, and they they don't understand why I like to do it alone. <laughs> yeah, so I often drive up to North Georgia um, without telling anyone and fish all day because I mean I, I will go fish with friends and I do enjoy that, but I liked and really like doing it alone and being out there in the water. Yeah. Like really focus. Um, the silence and solitude. You know, it's part of it. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm curious, this will be the last question before we dive into the, the lightning round. I know um, you've given us so much time already, but uh, in those mornings, part of the part of your morning is reading. Um, do you have any favorites? Do you have anybody that either you're currently learning from that you love or ones that you just always preach and recommend to people as a great read for your development or whatever uh, kind of reading you're doing? So I've gone through a variety of things. I'm not a huge reader. Um, I, I try to do, you know, do more, but it's not something that I really enjoy. Um, my mind's moving too fast to read, but yeah, yeah. I've done a few things. So the first thing I started out with was like, um, a hundred, the top 100 greatest speeches. Mm. So every morning, and they're, they're pretty uplifting for the most part of all, um, you know, a lot are like war oriented. Yeah. By like Chir- Churchill general. speeches and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but I found it so interesting. I've, I've really enjoyed history lately. Um, and it was really cool too. So I'd read the speech and usually there's a video and I'm watching mm. and it was really cool to put myself in that time. And, and also the vast majority of them are challenge you to be like this upstanding individual in society and are, are positive. So that was the first thing I did is go through that. Um, cool. Then I shifted to TED Talks. And so instead of reading, I would watch a, a TED Talk, you know, yeah. minutes. Um, you know, so those were two things that that I did. Um, cool. Right now, I have a fly fishing book that I read. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. I'm actually going to check out the that book, the hundred greatest speeches, or is that what it's called? Well, I actually Googled around. There's a number of lists. Okay. Um, so what I found, like I didn't have an interest really in that. What you're going to find is a lot of speeches that are international and abroad. That don't I got you. Relate. So I would find my speeches, bookmark them and then get to them. You know, as I made my way down the list. That's cool. That's cool. All right. Uh, let's dive into the lightning round. We got five questions for you. Um, first thing that comes to mind. So number one, if you can ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? Customer obsessed. Mm. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's our yeah. number one core value. Um, we at Digital Crafts didn't set strong core values until about two years in. As an entrepreneur, before you start a company, you, re- you think these core values and stuff are kind of cliche. Yeah, it's super important to have core values and strong culture. So for me and my team, it's being customer obsessed. All of our students are changing their lives mm. because they. Um, you have to be have empathy when you're working with with our student our customers um, and make sure that you see their perspective. They've invested a ton of money. They put a career on the line. So yeah, customer obsessed. Love that. Ah, oh, so good. Question number two. What is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business and also the worst? Well, that's tough. Um, I think the single best advice would be just how my parents raised me and just being honest. Mm. I think you can get out of any situation if you're honest, whether it's with your employees, your customer, the state regulation that oversees our company right right so being honest is the number one thing uh, that i would 
the best advice I've ever been given. Um, and I haven't been perfect on that. I've learned that the hard way. As sure. Um, and then the single worst advice would be, I don't know if I've really gotten terrible advice. There's one thing I do disagree with that you see a lot of um, people in the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial world talk about is that if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to invent something new. Mm. And I disagree with that. Yeah. I think, um, you know, Peter Till's book on zero to one, I think you can be an entrepreneur and start a business and do it well, whether that's create, whether that's inventing something new or not. Right. Um, I, I don't think an entrepreneur is also an inventor. I think those are two different things. So if you're out there and you want to start, um, you know, a plumbing business, by all means, go for it and get yes. control of your finances and your life and your time and, and lead that life that you want to lead. Absolutely. And there's always room to do it better or do it the way you would do it. Right. Um, one of my idea before you get started. Yeah, man. One of my earliest clients is actually, I, I see his, his vans around town. Uh, he has a plumbing and electrician business. Um, and he's crushing it. And one of the main things was because he was like, I saw the opportunity not to invent anything, but to do it similarly to how Chick-fil-A was in the restaurant space where we would be really high quality customer service and like really uh, based on integrity and next level service and that kind of stuff. And he's killing it. He's a true entrepreneur, but he didn't invent anything, you know? Yeah. Um, so I love that advice. That, that, that is so good. Okay, number three, what causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization? Um, I would say every now and then, you know, maybe like once every two months or three months, I, I get this thought that everything's just going to fall apart. Yeah, yeah. And um, that stresses me out for, for a day or two. Yeah. Um, now that we're six years in, we've seen a lot and it's, it's good to reaffirm yourself that, Hey, any kind of challenge you hit, you can adapt to it and solve it. Mm. If, you know, if you're honest and, and you approach it the right way. So, but I do think every three months, you know, I kind of have that thought in the back of my head is like, what if none of our customers showed up mm. or what if do all my employees hate me? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's those questions that linger in the back of my head every now and then that stress sure. me. And then I wake up and do my one, ten, and ten. I'm back to normal. There we go, man. Thank you for your honesty. I love that. I feel the same way sometimes. <laughs> Just things are going really well, and then like, what if I'm missing something critical? You know? Yeah. What if, like what if there's some blind spot or something that that just jumps up and kind of bites you that you weren't expecting, right? Right. I love it. Okay, number four. What is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? Can be for you personally or for the business or both? Um, we actually used traction, if that's where you got this from, at our yeah. company. Um, and our BHAG here was to train 10,000 individuals through our program. Mm -hmm. at that. Um, for me personally, and, and we're actually working on that. You know, we've gotten to a place in our company where we need to set a much bigger BHAG. Yeah. Uh, so I'll get back to you on that. Okay. But um, personally, I have developed a list. It's not complete, but of 100 things that I want to do before, before I leave this earth. 
Cool. And that is my BHAG. I mean, it's, it's written down. I have about 30. If you've never gone through the exercise of writing a hundred things down that you want to do in life. Yeah. Uh, it is very difficult to think of a hundred things that actually have value, but you know, some examples of mine are my wife and I've been to every continent except Antarctica together. I want to do that. Wow. I want to live abroad for a year. I want to teach my kids how to speak two languages. Um, I want to cover their educational costs. Like I mentioned earlier. Yeah. I want to catch a steelhead trout off the coast, the Pacific coast of the U S you know, so it's, it's these things and that's, yeah. that's really my, my behag. God, I love it. Yeah. Like you said, bigger than business. This is about, you know, life purpose and goals. I do have one on there to create a business from scratch that creates over a hundred million dollars in revenue a year. I don't know if that's going to be digital crafts or my next venture um, or the one after that, but that is also on the list. Let's go buddy. <laughs> I like it. All right. Last question. My favorite question. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past, and you get to tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window, like you're passing by, you don't, you don't get to affect anything, change anything. You just get to tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window. When would you go back, and what would you tell yourself in the past? So, well... And it can't be, don't go on this podcast. <laughs> um, not get this question. No, I think it would be. Um, I'm getting pretty vulnerable here. Um, sure. I think for me. I had a personality shift. You know, I used to be really good at sports. You know, soccer, basketball is usually the best one on the team or one of the best. Yeah. Um, very confident. And um, I remember, and I know this is supposed to be a short answer, but it's going to be a little bit longer. Go for it. I remember playing basketball when I was younger, um, and I was the best person on the team, and I was trying to win the game. And But I remember uh, um, uh, an adult you know, another kid's parent yelling at me, ball hog, like throughout the whole game. Wow. And I, and it shifted how I acted and how I approached uh, competitive sports. You know, I, I, I'm very quick to hand off the ball in basketball and give it to the next person or set somebody up in soccer, which is fine. I played center midfield. That's what I'm supposed to do. But, you know, it, it really shifted my mentality. And I would actually go back to myself then and, and tell myself not to change. Hmm. You know, I, I, you have to be humble and you have to be grateful. And I, and I am or strive to be all of those things. Yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with wanting to win. That's right. Being competitive and confident while you do it. Yep. Um, and then, I, so I, I feel like I'm starting to get that little shine back. Let's go. I really enjoy it. Um, really enjoy it. Wow. That might be my favorite answer on on the podcast for real what a a poignant moment to go back to even like a self-aware moment to go back to and go wow i think i actually shut something down that i didn't need to shut down maybe it maybe it could have been refined but i was a kid right so it's like maybe it could have been refined and add some humility to the confidence but i wasn't supposed to remove the confidence right that's actually a gift um 
Wow. I'm really inspired by that. that. That's awesome, man. Well, Jake, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. This has been a fantastic conversation. Great wisdom. It's really cool to see another um, Atlanta business that is really doing some great stuff out in the world and growing so fast. Uh, it's clear you're going to hit your, B, your, your BHAG both personally and professionally. And it's exciting. You got a lot of them, right? <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, thank you so much. I think what you guys are doing is amazing. Um, I appreciate your time and you inviting me on the show. Um, so I look forward to seeing the, the years to come as you guys grow this thing. Awesome, buddy. Appreciate you, man. All right. Take care. Founders. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.